I hear about it from the pulpit, evidently. So um, I think you just, I think secretly you just all like to watch me sweat. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the, the issue here. What's that? Oh. Hey, my, uh, my niece um, helped provide a, a prop uh, for our Elephant in the Room series. So um, somebody asked if this was mine and if I slept with it at night. And uh, I, don't know why you, I don't know why you would think that. But so there's our, there's our official mascot for the next uh, uh, five weeks or so. Um, so, uh, so today we're hitting off the topic. We're going to talk about um, racism. And it's, it's been a big thing in our country, and um, uh, it's, it's gone on for years, but it's also just kind of reared its ugly head in the last few months again, and so we're going to talk about that. And, and we're going to hit topics over the next few weeks. We're going to, today, racism. Next week, my friend uh, Brady's coming, and, he, and he, he's going to talk about homosexuality, and he came out of it. He's actually going to talk about um, just sexual purity in general. But he himself came out of uh, the homosexual lifestyle. It's actually one, if, you, if you'd rather your children not be in here during that time, I understand. Um, but it's gonna, he's going to hit it hard. He's going to talk about his story. And then immediately following the service next week, um, we're going to do a Q&A. And so there may be questions that you have. And he's going to do it in just a, a really creative way. Because how many know questions about sexuality and all of this stuff, they can be embarrassing. And you, you don't want to be the one. It's like, hey, I have a friend and he, uh, uh, you know, and he was struggling, right? And you're, you're like, everyone knows it's you, right? And, uh, and so this is the way he's going to do it. He's going he's gonna to have his cell phone up here. And if you have a question um, on anything regarding his story, sexuality in general, homosexuality, whatever, he's going to just have you text him the question. So nobody knows but, but you and him. And then uh, and during that Q&A time, you can text him throughout the message, but, you can, but he's going to address those questions right after the service in about a 30 to 45 minute Q&A. I think it's going to be incredible. So, um, so be here for that. Um, it'll, it, it's going to be incredibly awkward, and I love awkward uh, moment, moments. So, uh, and then, uh, and then in, uh, after that, we're, we're going to hit, I'm, I'm trying to decide what order, but we're going to talk about politics and, uh, and that's, that's going to be a fun one. We're going to talk about, um, I, I believe I just narrowed it down to, uh, we're going to hit uh, um, sexism and talk about um, women in leadership and especially women in leadership according to the Bible. We're going to, ooh, isn't that crazy? Yeah, so we'll see. We'll let you guys just, just assume what I believe about that and then you can come with your tomatoes and your, and your baseball bats and, and get ready. No, just joking. And then we're going um, to hit uh, gossip and negative talk. And uh, so it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. And so what my, my ask is this, would you guys just pray for me? Um, uh, during these next few weeks and so that I can articulate the best. So today, racism, um, uh, it's interesting here, when you, when you go to the very beginning, God's desire for um, the human race, God's desire from the very beginning was that there would be no racism. In fact, he started with, uh, with Adam and Eve. We don't know exactly what their pigmentation was. We don't know exactly what they looked like. But it was them too and them alone. And there was, he didn't start with division. He started with unity. It wasn't until Genesis chapter 11, um, out of a response to sinful pride, that God divided people up uh, with languages, confused languages. And Genesis chapter 11 started this division that came out of uh, disobedience and sinful pride. 
And so it was never God's plan in the beginning for there to be um, uh, division. There was never God's plan for there to be racism. I love this quote by a, a pastor named Dave Stone. And he says this. He says, just because you haven't participated in specifically racist activities or speech doesn't erase what others have experienced. Instead, we should act humbly and foster friendships because that inevitably leads to reconciliation. In, in other words, uh, your own, uh, in fact, I'm preaching to a, pre, a predominantly white congregation right now. I've grown up in predominantly white congregations. Uh, and in my, the most of my close friends over the years have been predominantly white. And so from my context, I could easily, even if I'm not, uh, uh, if I don't have racist speech or racist actions, I could at the very least be just indifferent to it. Oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really, why can't they just get over themselves, right? Maybe you've thought the same thing. I, I grew up in um, the Phoenix, Arizona area. And, um, and so there was, uh, there was a huge um, uh, Hispanic and Mexican community. Um, in fact, we did have some, some close friends. We had a church. In fact, our potlucks at our church, um, our, our great Hispanic friends, they would bring um, two different types of, of entrees to our potlucks. They would bring the gringo entree that, that we could handle that, uh, as far as spice you know, and then they would bring the, the one that, that was labeled uh, something like hotter or, or however. It, this, is, this was for those that were willing to try. That, uh, and, you know, and then the, the restroom was really close by. <laughs> so we grew up in, we, I grew up in, in that environment. I grew up, um, I, you know, there were, um, our, my dad pastored a church in Arizona. And his heart was always for there to be um, reconciliation among uh, different cultures and races. And, and he would always want to do things that pushed the envelope and, and breeded um, uh, relationship across cross-culturally and cross-racial uh, lines. There was this church in town and dad and, and the pastor of this church were just great friends. They would hang out and they would talk. Um, he was an African-American preacher. And their, their church was predominantly a black church and our church was predominantly a white church and we did some things that I don't know if, if it happened very often with other churches but we did some things we would have their whole church would come over to our church and we would do a joint service or all, our church would go all over to his church and we would do a joint service I remember when we were at his church one time um, I was I was just uh, I was probably 18 or something. Um, this young whippersnapper preacher and Dad and I come and we're and we're sitting on the front row and and the preacher says, "Oh no, that's not where you're sitting. Like, where, where would you like us to sit?" He's like, "You're sitting up here." And and in in their church in their culture, you had special seats up on the stage for pastors and 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 all the different people because they 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 were really great at honoring and they just they honored people. And so, you, so we, we sat in the seat of, I was only 18, and somehow I got the, the seat of honor, and I, I got to sit there. But then it, it, was, it went beyond that, because in, in Pastor Sweet's church, you had to be ready to preach in season and out. So even if you hadn't prepared anything, even if you hadn't taken 20 hours in, in researching the Greek and Hebrew of the original text, even if you hadn't done it, you had to be ready. And, and, and that was a, an elbow from my dad. Oh, by the way, we're sitting down. 
We had got, oh, by the way, just be ready in case, you're, in case he calls on you to preach. Say, what? And it happened. And I was called, I don't know what I preached on, but 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever, and preaching in Pastor Sweet's church because that's the way, that's the way they did it. That was, it's interesting, but when, I, when I'm growing up in, in, that, in that culture and then I've lived in different places around the country and, and, and a lot of time in middle America, um, I'll tell you, I have some ignorance. Uh, there's, there's part in my heart that just didn't think that it was that big of a deal. You know, the 60s and 70s had passed, and, and Martin Luther King uh, just, he paved the way, and, and we don't have slavery, and we don't have, like, separate drinking fountains, and we don't have people having to sit in the backs of buses anymore, and, and, and you know, the, right? You know, we've come a long ways, and, and, and of course, in my ignorance, I just, I look at the, the, the issues, and there's been times where I've even just said, uh, like, why is this that big of a deal? Why can't people just, like, forgive and move on? So I was on vacation just recently, a few weeks back, and uh, had some time to watch CNN and Fox News and get all the, the email feeds and Twitter feeds, and I'm just like, everything's blowing up with ISIS, and everything's blowing up with, with Black Lives Matter, and with Blue Lives Matter, and, and the police, and all, and I mean, this was Dallas just happened, and Baltimore, and, and just recently, uh, uh, we had something in Milwaukee, I mean, there was all this stuff's going on. I get back from vacation and I um, immediately, back in the office, I pick up the phone and called my friend, Pastor Ken Robinson. And some of you may know him. And I said, Ken, when do you have time to meet? Because I got to understand, like, what's happening here? I've got opinions and I don't know if my opinions are based on truth or if they're just based on the culture I grew up in. And so he made time like that day and came over to my office and we had over an hour, hour and a half in my office and I asked him questions like, like, is this really that big of a deal? Like, well, I can't, I said it like this. I said, I said, can, can the black community just like forgive and move on? Can they, I mean, is this really, like, is, is this, as, or is someone just like blowing this out of proportion or is this a real issue? And he's like, Jonathan, <laughs> it is a big deal. And we talked an hour and a half about how, how there's, there's, uh, there's people that, uh, that are, you know, we're, he, there's violence, like with the whole Black Lives Matter. And he's like, the, the violent part of it, he's like, he's like that's, that's just causing disunity and that's not, a, that's not good. There's no, there's no fruit in that. He's like, but could you just get beyond the violence and could you listen to their heart? Could you listen to their cry? He's like, there's actually... Bad police officers. <laughs> there's actually people that are doing bad stuff. And, and he's like, but there's also some incredibly great uh, people in law enforcement. He says, he, I've, he, he said, Jonathan, I've got friends and family members that are in law enforcement. And we had just a great conversation. So we followed that up. And we had a citywide pastors meeting. And, and Ken was there. And the whole topic was racism and, and reconciliation. And how do we address this in Kearney? Like, is there racism in Kearney, Nebraska? And so we talked about it because contrary to my opinion, there absolutely is. 
I didn't realize there's white supremacist stuff going on here. That's crazy. I thought that was just in the movies. And so after that, I said, Ken, we've got we've to video this. I said, not everybody gets the opportunity to, to just sit down with somebody of a different culture and just talk and start the conversation. Could you and I just, could we, could we make some time and video this? So we videoed a, an over 40, 45-minute interview of him and I talking and, and just... Ken sharing his heart and biblical truth, but the pain of the African-American man and really other cultures as well, right? And we cut it down and boiled it all down to 12 minutes that I'm going to show you right now. And if you ever want to, to have the full interview, we can make that available. But I want you to, I want you to watch this. And then I'm going to share from the Bible and, and give you guys some. But would you, would, you, uh, would you watch Pastor Ken and I in our interview? Uh, it, well, what, what happens is uh, um, sometimes we just put, our, well, we put ourselves in a situation where kind of what you said, you know, we're indifferent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect me one way or another. Um, we see it, but then we don't know how to respond to it. Or we see it, but you know what? It still doesn't involve me, so I'm staying out of this. Um, or we have an opinion about it that is just totally opposite to everybody else. You know, and there's some people that just like to argue. Um, so you've got all different aspects. Um, and that's where Twitter and Facebook and all that. And that's, <laughs> yeah, like I have a Facebook account and my wife's been telling me for a long time to, to, to just shut it off. I shouldn't even read it. Because every time I, normally I read it, there's somebody that makes me mad every time. And I look at like, how can you say it? Yeah, but anyway. So for me, um, it, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting thing because uh, I have a lot of friends that are law enforcement, that are in law enforcement. I have family members that are in law enforcement. Wow. And, uh, and it's not, and a lot of people are misunderstood saying that this Black Lives Matter is only about uh, guarding blacks or just um, all law enforcement's bad. Well, what it's actually saying is that, you know what? Uh, our lives do matter. And what it, what, it, what it means is that, you know, you just can't snuff somebody out, just get away with it. Um, the days of just hanging somebody, lynching somebody, doing something, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a voice. Um, and also, I think what's forgotten is that not all, law enforcement, not all law enforcement is bad. Right. There's a lot of good guys. There's a lot of, a lot of good men and women that are, that are law enforcement officers that do a heck of a job. For sure. But what happens, there's a small percentage that give them a bad name. You know, and I think that's where a lot of the targets come in. You know, and that's why they, a lot of people um, are very upset with law enforcement. So you brought up you brought up the Black Lives Matter, yeah. and uh, I remember you and I having this conversation before. But uh, um, I remember when it first started coming up, um, whether it be on Facebook or in, in person, um, especially the white community would would say, "Well, uh, all lives matter." Yeah. And uh, so I was wondering, like, how did that make you feel when you would hear that or read that, and and people, you know, would would kind of respond that way? To me, it made me look. It made me angry. It made me very angry because it felt like they were they were diminishing the value of black people. Instead of just saying, you know what, why don't you even why don't you just listen to what they're saying? Oh wow! Why don't you just listen to what they're saying? Look at what they're saying. You don't have to have a response. It's not attacking you. Listen to what they're saying. Wow! And when you just say all lives matter, it's just like saying yeah all lives yeah 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 all lives matter. Instead of just saying no, listen to what black people are saying. Listen to what they're saying. There's a point to what, no one just goes up in arms just for no stinking reason. 
you know, Baltimore, you know, Missouri, you know, there's a lot, uh, Milwaukee's going through it right now, where what happens is it, it, it flies under the radar, okay? And it, stops, it starts with one little incident. And what happened, it grows. And somebody knows it's bad, but they don't say nothing about it. And then they're like, man, I, hey, I'm just gonna, you know what? I can't worry about this. I can't worry about this. I can't worry about this. And then all of a sudden, you just like, you know what? Ah. It's, it's, it's part of the issue that just people aren't listening. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I don't, I don't think people are, are willing to listen. Um, I know uh, we, you talked about two weeks ago when, when um, uh, I think it was Pastor Adrian when he mentioned that, you know, people just need to listen. Just listen. It's not our it's not our job to 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 to, to force somebody. Hey, you got to believe this or you got to believe that. Just be willing to listen. Shut your mouth and just listen to what they're doing. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying uh, there's people that have pain yeah. in their heart. Yeah. Right or wrong. Yeah. Who cares not how it got yeah. there? Who's right or wrong? But there's actual pain. There's pain. There's a there's it's it's a it's a it's a band aid, but over a gusher. You know, the bad, there's more to it behind the scenes. Like, look at John Iceberg. All you see is a rage. You see people doing stuff, but you don't see what's under the water. Man. You don't see what's really going on. You don't see the generational curses. You don't see the generational things. You don't see the things that are really happening. Hmm. So tell me about, maybe a little bit about your pain and, and your family and you know, how does, uh, you know, what's going on there? Um, for me, the hardest situation was when my daughter saw the guy, uh, I think it was in, uh, I can't remember where it was at, um, where the guy was laying on his back and they shot him right in the, they shot him right in the, in his chest when he was laying down. She saw that on the news. She saw it, no, she didn't saw it on the news, she saw the, the, the live feed of it. She saw a live feed of it. Oh, man. And I can't remember where she found it at, but she, she saw it. And I, I have never seen it. But I remember she came up to me and said, Dad, I saw this. They killed that guy for no reason. Okay, he was struggling, but they shot him right there. He was defenseless, and they shot him. Dad, that makes me mad. Being a black woman, that makes me mad. How old is she? She's 12. Oh, my goodness. And then me seeing that, just like, and I can see the anger in her, you know, and seeing that really just, uh, seeing that, the, the hurt it caused my, my daughter. And then just even when I did talk to my kids about it, just saying, you know what? Um, yeah, that was a, we don't know who that who those guys are, but how do you know? It, well, it could have been me. It could have been a simple thing of me reaching for something. And I ended up getting shot. In my experience, it hasn't been this overt, huge racism thing in Kearney, but um, but you have an experience, even if it isn't overt. Is is there racism in Kearney? Heck yeah! <laughs> Heck yeah! I mean, yeah! I mean, uh, but you know what? Yeah, yeah, that, that, might, that might irritate some people, but you know what? They're going to be okay. Yeah, there is racism coming. Nah, there is racism, man. It hasn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. It just went to sleep for a little bit, and it's been hibernating. But this uh, thing was still alive. Mm -hmm. um, do I think, personally, do I think... In this area, I've been here since 96. Do I think this place is, Carney is getting better as a city? Yeah. So as a, as a pastor, because you pastor the, um, the boys at YRTC yep. here in Kearney. And, um, and, we, and you're part of our pastoral alliance here in Kearney, Nebraska. Yep. What, uh, what can we do 
Like, what's the what's the answer? Obviously, there's the classic Sunday school. Jesus is the answer. Oh yeah. <laughs> but what are we? Jesus is the answer. <laughs> no, that's a good song. But no, no, no. You're right. No. What's the response? The response. I, my response that I had like three weeks ago when we first started talking about it, YRTC. Um, a lot of guys were just, you know, it's like that elephant in the room. Uh, people see the thing, big old pink thing, they see it, but no one wants to talk about it. So we, God really hit on my heart to talk about racism. Talk about, it was right after the Dallas shootings, you know, and there's a lot of kids up there like, oh yeah, they should have done that. I was like, wait a minute, so just because you have the right, you feel like you've been disrespected, that gives you the right to take somebody's life? It doesn't make sense, right? you know? And I say, and then it goes even deeper than that, where you will even have uh, followers of Christ that say, I'm a follower of Christ, but how can you be a follower of Christ and be racist at the same time? Uh, it, I don't think that makes any sense. <laughs> Jesus is, is about love and he's about unity. So, so we've talked uh, a lot about one of the big answers to this whole thing is listen, you know, start the conversation, but but listen and listen to the pain and uh, and love and all that. Where does uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ come into play? I mean, you're not hearing CNN talk about that or Fox News. You're, you're, I mean, you're hearing people the the talking heads. They're they're talking about starting a conversation and and let's uh, you know let's unite. You hear that, but but. It's us, yeah. <laughs> the pastors, the church. Where does the gospel of Jesus Christ come into play? Well, I'll share a scripture that I shared with the, the young men um, like three or four weeks ago. And it's uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And it said, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you all are one in Christ. Um, to me, I mean, you can argue with me, you can argue with Pastor John if you want, but you can't argue, you can't argue with the Bible. You can't argue with God. We're all one in Christ. I mean, when he died on the cross for us, he died for all of us. He died for, for everything that we've done, because we put him on that cross. Wow. And I think when you internalize, you say, okay, how, who am I to sit back and point fingers at everybody else when it was my sin that put him on that cross? So there's somebody watching right now. Yeah. They may be at home. They may be sitting in the audience of a, of a church and they're agreeing with you that there's an issue. And they, um, you know, they may even be praying and all of this stuff, but, um, but they may be saying even in their heart right now, um, what can I do? I'm just one person. Okay. I know it's an issue. I see it on CNN. I see it on Fox News. I read I Facebook, all this stuff. What, what can I do? What would you say to that person sitting there? Well, first of all, you, you want to, even what I do for myself, you know, I pray. I pray about it all the time. And I come in agreement with what God says about unity. And I said, Lord, I, I pray for this city. Lord, I ask for, for unity in this city. It doesn't matter about color or creed or economics or whatever. Lord, it doesn't matter about the last name or anything. Lord, I thank you for unity in this place. Wow. Two, you know what? Um, shut up. Sometimes people just need to shut up and listen. Hmm. Would you say part of that listening is actually engaging in conversation with, with people? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, 
it's more than just, um, if you don't feel comfortable with it, okay, you don't feel comfortable with it, but it's still not an excuse for ignorance. Mm -hmm. Hey, young man, you've been going to this church for a while. How do you feel about this man? And listen. But it's like when somebody's hurting, regardless of this issue, there's all kinds of issues going on. I mean, if someone loses a family member or somebody's, uh, you know, house burns down. I have a friend that their, their house burned down just a few weeks ago. And I mean, and, and they're not looking for me to have the answer. They're looking for me to sit and listen. Yeah. And I would, would you say that, that the hurt and the pain, it's even been going on for hundreds of years, but, but what we have right now with uh, the racism and all that, the, they just want someone to listen. Who just want somebody to listen to them. Man. That I, I'm understood. And right there, you, okay, I, can, I hear what you're saying. Now what can I do? But this is, in, this is something that somebody has to do as an individual. Okay, you hear all this. Now Lord, what can I do to stop this division in this nation? What can I do to stop division? How can I be a person of, of life a person of unity instead of division. Thank God for Pastor Ken. He's just a great man. We're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's racism, but there's all kinds of things that this can apply to that oftentimes we just choose to not engage in conversation with people. And, um, and we choose to just have our own opinions or, or, and, and voice them. And, you know, we could be talking about, um, about a woman who, who had the pain of, uh, of going through an abortion. And they come and, and all they hear from us is, is the truth, right? You know? And they hear, they hear the Christians talk about the, the, that's murder of an unborn child. And, and isn't, isn't that, isn't it? I mean, that is true. But what if they, what if we also like found out what their story was <laughs> and sat down and actually, instead of the Bible being shoved down their throat first, what if we could just hear their story and, and they would you know, hear love and, and maybe somewhere down the line there's the, we can have an opening to, to share truth and gospel. But oftentimes people are turned off by us, the church who's supposed to have the answer because we don't even engage in relationship and conversation. The main thought today is this, because everyone has value, Jesus intentionally and compassionately crossed racial and cultural barriers. There's an African-American preacher in Dallas, um, one of my favorites, and his name's Tony Evans. And he said, uh, he said, black lives matter because all lives matter. He went on to talk about how when we start with the premise that God created life and God created um, every person with value, when we start with that premise, that then we can move down into these subgroups that also have value. He, he shared the example of the unborn child and some of these justice issues, that that unborn child has value because all life has value. That the, the, uh, the person that, that is weak and feeble has value because all lives have value and all lives matter. The starving children in the world, the victims of human trafficking, the black community or some of these other cultures, you can look at them and say, of course they have value because all lives have value and so Jesus' response to racism is what we want to talk about today. We're going to be in John chapter 4. And number one, we find out that Jesus didn't avoid 
the topic. <laughs> Jesus heads straight on into it. And, and we see this in John chapter 4. Um, Jesus purposefully and intentionally went through a place called Samaria. John chapter 4 verse 3 Talking about Jesus, it says, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, a little geography. Judea is in the south, and Galilee is in the north, and Samaria is smack dab right in between the two. And the most direct route, the easiest route, is to go right through Samaria. That's, that's, the, that's just the facts of geography. But the fact is also that Jesus really didn't have to go through Samaria. He didn't have to as far as travel plans and, and all of it, it, it. He didn't have to. In fact, most Jews, most Orthodox Jews went around Samaria. Because you didn't go through Samaria if you were a good Jew. You went around. You went around. In Samaria lived the Samaritan dogs. That's what they were called by Jews, the Samaritan dogs. They were the the unclean ones. When the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, around 722 B.C. and there, uh, they took almost all of the population captive except... And they took him to Babylon in exile, except they left behind the lowest class of society. These ones left behind, they intermarried with other non-Jews eventually that would come into the area. And from that, those intermarriages between the, these low-class Jews and, and these other people from other countries, that those unions and, the, and the, them repopulating is where the Samaritans emerged as an ethnic and religious group. Because the Samaritans had a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of the God of Israel and then a bunch of superstition and other pagan stuff that was going on. And so it wasn't just this this, uh, mixed breed. It wasn't just that. It was also mixed religions and all of this stuff that was going on. And so most Jews in Jesus' time despise the Samaritans. They despise them more than the Gentiles. Now, if you've been here at all over the last few weeks, you remember us talking about the Jews and the Gentiles in the book of Acts. uh, There was definite division between the Jews and the Gentiles. (coughs) There was a whole wall in the temple that separated the Gentiles from from the place where the Jews were allowed to go. But the Jews would put out way more with just your average Gentile because the Samaritans were the unclean ones. The Samaritans, we'll take a Gentile over a Samaritan any day. And so Jesus needed to go through Samaria, but it wasn't because there was no other way. It was because people needed him there. It was because his disciples needed to learn. If you haven't picked up on this by hearing about Peter and some of the last sermons and some of the disciples, Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of racists. He really is. And, and there was ignorance. There was, there was part, that some of it was culture. Some of it, they, they wouldn't have like maybe labeled it like that. But, but it was true. Against the, against the Gentiles and now specifically against the Samaritans. 
And so we see here now in John 4, verse 5, so he talking about Jesus, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Point number two, he engaged in conversation. I love that he didn't avoid it. He didn't go around Samaria. He went straight through. He went right into the place where he would have to, at some point, interact with someone from another culture. But number two, he engaged in conversation. Is that the sixth hour? It, um, it was a woman. John 4 verse 7 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water at this well that Jesus was sitting at. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Uh, and the sixth hour wasn't a real special hour. This wasn't the, the, um, the normal hour to come and, and draw water. And so there was either a desperate need for this woman to have water right now. Because normally you came with, as a woman, you came with a group of, of women and you came here at this specific time. And most, uh, a lot of it was the, the young single ladies would come and the men would come and, they would, and this is where they would even find spouses and, and things like that. A lot of the um, uh, irreputable women, the, the, the ones that, that were, had question marks over their character would also come to the well. But this lady, she, she maybe even was trying to skip out on, on some of the, the stuff and you find as we read this story, there may have been a reason why she came at an off hour to this well. And Jesus is sitting there and he says, give me a drink. It's interesting. He capitalizes right away in this place of a different culture. He capitalizes on engaging a conversation with a Samaritan woman. The disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So probably freeing Jesus up to have a conversation with, uh, because all all his racist friends were gone. So he could sit here and and have a, a conversation uninterrupted. The disciples had gone to buy food and, and he asked this woman to give him a drink. And you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding, right? Have you heard any of what I've said so far? She's thinking right now, you're going to put your Jewish lips on my Samaritan cup? You, you remember when we talked about the Jews and the Gentiles and how the Jews... They literally believed that every place a Gentile touched became unclean. You would become ceremonially unclean if you touched something that a Gentile touched. We're not talking about just Gentile. We're talking about Samaritans. And this woman has to be thinking, not only is this man talking to me, it's a Jewish man, and he's asking to put his lips on my Samaritan cup. It was very unusual for a Jewish person of that time to ask a favor for or accept a drink from a Samaritan's cup. He genuinely surprised her, which is why we hear this in verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's interesting Jesus hadn't uh, engaged in theology yet. He hadn't turned the conversation spiritual yet. 
he hadn't given her a Bible or preached to her yet. There, nothing spiritual. It was just a drink of water. She didn't even know who he was. You know, a lot of people want to tell people about Jesus but aren't willing to drink from their cup. A lot of people want to evangelize. It's like what Tony Evans says, I want to get your soul to heaven, I just don't want to deal with you here on earth. I'll witness to you, I just won't eat with you. Immediately, this woman was impressed by the friendliness of Jesus. This was probably the first time she had ever heard a kind greeting from a Jewish man. And so, number three, the, the last point here is this. He had compassion. Jesus had compassion. And there was a story, 1947, Jackie Robinson, if you're familiar, if you watched a recent movie, if you're a sports history buff, Jackie Robinson was um, the first African-American to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. The crowds and the fans were brutal during this time uh, yelling racial slurs and jeering and throwing things I mean he had a rough go and uh, and so right in the middle of this time there was a there was a particular baseball game where a ground ball came to Jackie and um, and he made an error on it he made a mistake the ball goes and now there's a there's a runner at um, on base At this time, there was the manager decided that we needed to do a pitching change. And so the pitcher comes out and switches with, with them. They're, they're trying to figure out this thing. Jack, you've made a, a huge mistake. He's standing there over second base, and all of a sudden the crowd starts in. Whether it be for his team or the other team, it didn't matter. Racial slurs, yelling, and you... You saw Jackie's arms go to the ground and his shoulders slouch and his face to the ground. And it was just uh, an emotional moment for him. There was a particular man that, was, uh, that befriended him during this time. His name was um, uh, Pee Wee Reese. And Pee Wee Reese crossed the field left his position and went over and stood by Jackie Robinson uh, and actually put his arm around Jackie and stood there until the crowd calmed down and silenced. And at that moment then, when everything was calm, he went back to his position and they began to play ball again. And Jackie remembered that moment and he was quoted by saying, that arm about my shoulder probably saved my career. So Jesus, you see him having compassion on this woman, but it was compassion and not compromise. And, and that's, that's one place where we fall short. We, we either err on the side of compassion or we err on the side of compromise. And, uh, you know, even as a church, sometimes we're, you know, there's 
and I talk about the church, not even not just ours, but the church worldwide, will either do this, you've heard maybe of like sloppy grace or those different things where we just, we just have compassion and, and, and it's okay, no matter what you do, whatever, it, you know, Jesus loves you anyways and, and all roads lead to heaven and all that stuff. And so we, get, we err on, sometimes on that side or this other side where it's just like this rigid and rules and, and, uh, and there's no compassion, there's just right and wrong and Jesus could have easily done that right here and you'll see here in a minute but he has compassion he has compassion on her spiritual state right here he actually cared about her soul John chapter 4 verse 10 it goes on and Jesus answered her and said if you knew the gift of God and who it was or, and who it was who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water well, at this point, the woman's curiosity is peaked. Now, Jesus is turning this spiritual, but this woman is still thinking in, in la-la land a little bit. She says, living water? Now, you have to understand, in that culture, you, it, wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to talk about living water. Living water was, was a, um, like a spring, like a, like a natural spring and the, uh, of, of life and water that would go. And so, they, so she automatically was thinking, where's this living water? Show me where this is so that, that I don't have to keep coming here every single day. In fact, as he, he talks about this type of water he, Jesus is quoted there as you go on where it says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And this, she's like, you got to give me some of this water. Where's this? Where's this water? Where, where can I go? You, you have a secret that I don't know about? Never thirst again. She, really, she, still, she was kind of like the disciples. I mean, she was clueless. And then he turns it personal here and Jesus says in verse 16 go call your husband and come here and the woman answered and says I have no husband and he says that's right Jesus said to her you have well said I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the woman or and, and the one woman uh, or I'm sorry the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I, per I perceive that you are a prophet. No duh. <laughs> you have thought wisely, my young Padawan. <laughs> I, I love this. Uh, uh, Jesus was able to pierce right into a personal issue with compassion, but without compromise. And somehow this woman doesn't get defensive. She doesn't say, whoops, see you later. She doesn't like, get your own cup. You know, none of, none of that. She's amazed at the fact, how did you know all of that? How did, no, I haven't told anybody. And he, she was amazed that he knew all the deepest things in her heart. You must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. She goes on and, and talks about how, and now her spiritual interest is is up. She's starting to realize that this water isn't like some, some normal water. That this is some this is some crazy stuff. And she starts talking about spiritual things. And she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither 
on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He was basically turning this place. To her. She, she really didn't know what she was worshiping. She was wrong. The Jews had it right. They, they were worshiping the one true God. The Samaritans were, were worshiping pagan gods and a mixture of this and that. And he had it right. But he didn't lead with that. He led with, can I have some water? He led with relationship and compassion. And she opened up this whole conversation. Well, since you're going to talk about where we ought to worship, let me tell you. He says, and actually, a time's coming as he goes on. When true worship isn't going to happen here in Jerusalem or here on this mountain, but there's a time when true worship's going to happen in spirit and truth, and you're going to be able to worship right here, right where you're at, just like this. I mean, she is just amazed at what this man is saying to her. And he goes on, or she, she actually talks to him, and she says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so the disciples come back at this point. They've, they've retrieved their snacks from the mini mart and they're, they're back. It was about a five hour, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, a five mile walk into town and they, they got their snacks and they've made the, the trek five miles back. And the disciples come back. The woman leaves to tell the men of the city all that just happened that this man has told me everything about my life. How could he know this? He must be the Christ. You need to come and see him. And so the men of the city are on their way to come see who this guy is. Maybe he's the Christ. And so you pause that and the disciples are back with Jesus. And they're, they're talking to him and they're basically saying that... Uh, you should eat, Jesus. We, we've, we've got some food. We need to sit down. We need to eat. And he says, he says to them, I have food that you know not of. And you have to wonder what was going through the disciples' mind. You're telling me that I traveled five miles this way and five miles back, and you have food that I know not of? You knew we were going into town, Jesus. And you've got food that I know not of? Jesus is about ready to start chopping some ears off. Or Peter, sorry, that would have made a better joke. <laughs> so they're urging him to eat in this meantime. And then Jesus goes on this spiritual rant here in front of his disciples, his racist friends. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's in the middle of Samaria. He intentionally, is, he's on his way to, to Galilee, but he's in the middle of Samaria. And his will, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Do you not say there is still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say, to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Who do you think they would have saw when they lifted up their eyes? They would have seen these men coming over the hill, these Samaritans. 
they would have paused after eating their Skittles and Dr. Pepper. And they would have realized this food they know not of is an actual food and that the fields are white and ready for harvest and that it's them. It's them. That the evangelism, that the harvest was more than their own little community, that, it, that evangelism in the heart of God goes out and reaches out farther than just the people that we're comfortable with, the people that we grew up with, the people in our social circle, the people in our small group, the people in our family, the, the, the ones that I relate to the most. It's like evangelism, like lift up your eyes because the field is ready to be harvested. And let's start with these men that are coming over the hill to see what's going on. Isn't that crazy? I loved it. And then in John chapter 4, as you move on right here at the end of the story, verse 40 and 41. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. It caught my attention here because you start the story and you're going to put your Jewish lips on my cup, my Samaritan cup. And now he's staying the weekend. He's staying overnight for two days. He's probably staying in one of their homes. I love the example of Jesus here. I don't pretend to have the answer. I don't pretend to be the one that's going to speak the one word that's going to solve all of the racial issues in our country or worldwide. I don't, I don't pretend to, to, to have that. But I think we can follow Jesus in the fact that he didn't avoid it. He didn't move around it. He didn't close his eyes and pretend it doesn't exist. He addressed the elephant in the room by not avoiding it. by engaging the conversation and by truly having compassion on what's going on in the hearts of people that have experienced pain and brokenness and fear and a lot of it because of us. And so how can you respond today to this message? Pastor Kelly, if you'd come I was, and how can you, how can I respond? I've, I've been responding over the last four or six weeks as I've sat down with Pastor Ken and some others and I'm just sitting here. Man, I thought that there wasn't even a racist bone in my body. I thought that there wasn't even a slight bit of prejudice and I would confess to Pastor Ken, I said, you know what? I'll be honest. If I were walking down a dark alley and there was a big white man or a big black man, I'd be more afraid of the big black man. He says, I understand. <laughs> He's a big black man. I realized that there's been times in my life that I've entertained racial jokes just because it was funny. I realized that there are times that even if I hadn't participated in racial conversations or done racist things, that there have been times that I just hadn't had compassion because I've just chose to go around 
instead of heading straight in. I realized that there's times when I just decided to not engage the conversation and in all of that, by default, I chose to not have compassion. And so how do I respond? How do I, how do you, how do we respond? Is First, would you just ask God to examine your heart this morning? The Spirit of Life Church right here in middle America, Kearney, Nebraska, that at least we could start with us, that we could say, God, would you examine my heart? Is there anything in my heart that's not right when it comes to other cultures, people that aren't like us? And it doesn't have to even just be race. It can be poor versus wealthy. It could be men versus women. It could be old versus young. It could be all these things. Lord, would you examine my heart? And then if he points out even the smallest thing, even if there's just a percentage point of junk in your heart in this area, would you repent? Repent means to change the way you think, to go in a different direction, to, that it starts with me. I love what the, the man says that was the former president of World Vision. He says, he says I can't do everything for everybody but I can do something for somebody. What can I do? This is what I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have him examine my heart. I'm gonna repent. Here's a couple questions. This is something practical. If you don't have a close friend of another race, could you make it a point to try to befriend someone and get to know them? If your close community is only white or only Hispanic or only whatever culture that you grew up in, could you make it your, a point to maybe just have a friend that's not like you? What about praying regularly that God would allow your life to cross paths with someone that's different than you? And then when that happens... When it happens, and you know it will, because your heart's going to start to race and your hands are going to get sweaty and you're going to realize this is the time, would you actually take advantage of the opportunity at the well and engage in conversation? I think this could be a good start. Could we stand together this morning? We're always willing to pray with people in the altars, in our church, if you have some, a need, if you need an area of, of breakthrough and you're welcome to come to the altar. But I think for the majority of us in this room, in a response to this message, would you just go introspective for a minute? Would you not rush out of here as they lead in this song and however long it takes, would you, in your seat or if you need to kneel on the altar or in an aisle, would you just make sure your heart is right in this issue? And the moment that you feel like you've done business with the Lord, you're welcome to leave and you can do whatever you need to do. But let's worship together here at least another song. Holy Spirit all over this room. I come into agreement with your heart, God, for reconciliation. I come into, your, into agreement, Lord, with your heart of love and compassion. Lord, you would help to tear down walls that have been built up in our hearts and in our communities. That you would give us divine strategy to break through, especially this topic of racism. Lord, would you minister now? Lord, there's even people in this room that have been hurt, that there's pain that they're carrying because of this issue. Lord, I ask that you would minister right now. Mm -hmm.
you go right to those places where you pour your love out. We declare freedom over this house. In Jesus' name. Let's worship together. opportunity for you to just allow the Lord to minister to you and confess anything you need to confess. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. We just thank you for being a part of Spirit of Life Church. We love you and we'll uh, see you next week as we continue the elephant in the room. God bless.